All right, welcome, my friends. We have an exciting episode here today. I have a friend of mine who I've never actually met in person, but has been a huge, uh, important person in my life over the last year or so to help me with my own business. We have Nicole Sauce, uh, who's uh, from Middle Tennessee right now. And uh, Nicole has designed my website, edited my first book, is in process of editing my second book. Her and her mom just give me basic business ideas. And it's just a, a great human being who I actually met on Facebook which is ironic because a year ago, I didn't, well, I guess a year and a half ago, I did not even have Facebook. And I've actually uh, come to meet a lot of people uh, who I've enjoyed very much to get to know on Facebook. So as much as I can't stand Zuckerberg, uh, I got to give him credit that he is putting communities together. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, so Nicole um, is running a coffee business. She's been involved in public policy, done all kinds of different things, uh, but just an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is an entrepreneur, but like most entrepreneurs, did not necessarily start like that. Had a, a decent gig that eh, wasn't doing what she wanted. And so we're just going to dive right into it. Welcome, Nicole. And, and uh, again, we're going through part two of this because I actually, folks, did not hit the record button before. But if you don't mind, just uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell us again that story about being a high school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. Hey, I know how this goes. I run a podcast, too. Yes, so. you do. And I will put the links to Nicole's website, podcast, and everything in the show notes for sure. <laughs> just have to tell you, one time I interviewed somebody. It was an awesome interview. Yeah. One hour long. I hit stop and the file failed oh. <laughs> and we had to do it again the next day. I was always Ooh. so sad about that. So yeah, I started out as a high school teacher and realized there was a huge problem with the system. And, and my motivation has always been to work with people, help people go from idea to reality. And that was true then, that's true today. So I went into the public policy world to try to fix the schools and look how well that's gone. Yes. <laughs> um, so at some point, that world became more difficult for me to be in because while I had a, I've met a lot of great people there, there are people in that world working their hearts out to, to, yeah. to just get kids out of bad situations because we lock kids in to bad schools just by their address. And that's abhorrent and it's unacceptable. Right. Well, let's let's fail these kids, but not yes. those kids. Um, and but give them no option either, you know. It became soul sucking. So then, and, and along the way, I was an executive trainer for Daimler Chrysler and some other things. Uh, but I ended up getting to a point where I was running a nonprofit, making a great income. I was on the road three weeks out of four. Uh. Three weeks out of four, I was spending like eighty percent of my time raising money for the nonprofit, twenty delivering services. The services were starting to diminish in quality. And I was like, something's got to change. Like, I, I'm glad Mark stayed with me through this, but um, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have long term if I would have. I was just like, I was not me. Yeah. And my health, my heart was developing a condition. I was starting to see a heart doctor. And um, it, the market was not, you know, not supporting what we were doing as well as it had been. Finally, I was like, I've just got to admit that it works better if you get paid for services. Yeah. And so I, I stopped. I stopped paying myself. I started paying somebody else to run it if they were going to transition into the president and um, took a huge cut in pay. I went from a really good salary, like a six figure salary to under $20,000 that first year. Oh, man. <laughs> and within two weeks, my heart condition went away. What's that? Within two weeks of oh. making that change, my heart condition went away. No kidding. Not kidding. 
Now, let me ask you a question. When that change of income went from six figures to 20, did you still have mortgage and whatnot? Yeah, I have I have mortgage and a few other debts that we are still paying off from our crazy 20s. But yet, even with a debt that had accumulated, it didn't make your heart condition worse. And actually, it lessened because of the uh, getting out of the corporate grind. Yeah. And, and I think it also goes back to helping people go from idea to reality is what I'm best at. And I was spending 80% of my time raising like fundraising and I've met great people, you know, along the way and have really good relationships with funders, but that's not me. That's, uh, there are people who are, that's them. That's not me. What's me is working directly with people who have a need like you did to start your business. Right. 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 And saying, okay, let's do this in a logical way right. that gets you somewhere rather than just do it the way, you know, like a prepackaged thing that's the same for everybody. Because everybody's business is a little bit different or their project is a little bit different. Now, I, I just got to, I, I just want to reiterate that. So you had debt, you had a big paying job. And even though you had debt, you left the big paying job and you actually got healthier and you didn't lose your mind because the debt was going to crunch you or you're just going to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if I would have had more debt, Josh, it might not have been as possible. Right, right. And like, I think I told you earlier before this, like I do interviews with people on a free version of Zoom because I don't want the $25 a month. Yeah. And that's because I'm paying off debt. No, absolutely. That, and I just, so yeah. it's just like I would have, in theory, had it paid off faster. But at the same time, being on the road three weeks out of four made my debt go up, even though I made more money. I, and I just uh, I, I find that story fascinating. And I think it's endemic of our society, frankly, that I man, I just went right on, Nicole. And the funny thing is, at the end of the day, I bet you're probably happier, um, even though you're not making that. Yeah, I don't know what you're making now, but presumably you're not making as much as you were when you're on the road working for the uh, corporate grind. I am not making as much. I am much happier. I have more time to do things. Yeah. And yeah. I've just been like, I mean, Josh, for two years, I'm still like digging out from having you know like never had time to sort through my stuff and give it away when it's you know like when the clothes are too small little things like that that people do after work when you're on the road you don't have after work (sighs) that's no lie i mean when you're on the road your after work is going to hotel room and getting ready for the next day you know what i mean yeah now you've done it right uh and i uh (laughs) Ugh, don't remind me. All right. So Nicole, what, so what exactly, what do you have? I, and I, I want to dive into a couple of things here, but what exactly do you have now going on? Cause you got a couple of things going on, uh, all of which fascinate me, but, uh, tell us a little bit about everything you have going on right now, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, I, I have a podcast called living free in Tennessee, where I tell the story of my transition from that to a more of a homesteading approach. And what the homesteading approach gives me is a simpler, quieter life. And I'm able to keep expenses down and have super healthy food because we're doing a lot of that here. We're not doing all of it here though, because I, um, I have a disease called an entrepreneurial mind (laughs) and it's really hard for me to not start new things. Like I, I have actually stopped doing new things for the next two years. I think we'll see if I make it, Josh, you you just quote me on that in two years. Okay. (laughs) Well, I, we are recording this. So it was June twenty eighth, two thousand eight. Yeah. So, 
the uh, the shiny object syndrome is what I call because I have that as well. I don't. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I'm like, okay, if I go over there, if I go over there, oh man, it's tough to to see. Yeah, so. it's hard, but um, I do have. I've written down three family strategic goals that Mark and I put together, and every time something new comes up, we have a talk. And his job in my life <laughs> is to remind me that I am focusing. I'm a coffee roaster, so I roast craft coffee to order at hollerroast.com, and that is a business that I'm building for the long term. And so I have people who love my coffee and they they order it every month. I'm launching subscriptions soon on that site so that they can automatically get it. And that is a business where I go out and taste lots of coffees, the coffee beans, so that other people don't have to do that work. And the result is really good coffee. And then because we roast it to order, it's fresh. So I have it there. That's a very niche market, right? Absolutely. There are some other people doing it and I'm in contact with some of them. And the fun thing about that world is they are my competitors, but we help each other. It's interesting. So they're not that worried. It's like, there are enough people who love coffee, whatever. Uh, I do the podcast. And then also I have a communications business called spark communication group, which is how you and I got together where we help people go from idea to reality and we don't do everything. And in fact, we've just, we are, maybe we're updating it by the end of this week. We're changing our website from the list of all the communications and marketing services we offer to the ones that most people buy. Right. So it's, it's that consultation of, you know, linking your purpose of your business to what you're doing, website development related to that. So I don't just build websites for people. I like pick on them until they tell me what their purpose is and what their call to action is. Right, Josh? Which I can attest to. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> You've had folks, we had uh, Nicole and I and her mom, Lonnie, uh, had many a call um, and not, not all just, uh, you know, hey, pat on the back is a lot of that was a little bit more deeper of a dive that, it, you don't get mad, but you get like, I thought we did this already. But <laughs> if you're starting off, you got to define uh, your audience. And, and a lot of times, especially if you have the entrepreneurial syndrome, as Nicole does, you can you just got to narrow it down. And, and, and they were a huge help and continue to be, I might add. In fact, Nicole just emailed me uh, the other day as a kind of uh, a one off about, hey, what you ever thought about doing this instead of that? And I said, you know, I had thought about it, but until someone actually uh, verbalizes that to you, um, it just kind of flows around out there. So that's good. Now, the co- I'm just curious. It's holler with an E-R, holler, or holler? Yeah, holler, H-O-L-L-E-R-R-O-A-S-T. Okay, so now what What do you – I'm just curious. How did you end up doing that? I mean, that's pretty cool, but that's – I mean, how, <laughs> just one day said I like coffee. I'm going to start you know, selling it or, or what? Well, I moved way out into the middle of nowhere a long time ago, and it's an hour to the airport. So I was driving from the country house to the airport when I went on business. And the grocery store is a 25 to 35 minute drive from here. And they didn't have good coffee anyway. It's Walmart. Yeah. And I mean, they have a little bit better selection now, but at the time I couldn't even get Starbucks there. And I used to come back from business trips with like bags of craft coffee in my suitcase, Josh. (laughs) One day I ran out of coffee and I ended up finding Starbucks 45 minutes away and getting some of that, which is not like awesome coffee, but it's better than Folgers. And yeah, (laughs) and I started well, and I've always been interesting and interested in how things work. So then like it's like, oh, I like coffee. I wonder how you roast coffee. Right, right. I wonder how long green beans store because I'm in the country. And I did this whole research thing. Ended up while Mark was taking a nap 
putting coffee beans on a cookie sheet in the oven and making all the fire alarms go off in the house. <laughs> but it tasted really good. And I've just, that was eight years ago. And about a year ago, I was at Jack Spierko's workshop on his property in um, Texas. Right. And uh, have your listeners heard about who he is yet? I, I don't know, but uh, yeah. by all means, he's uh yeah, go ahead. Explain, please. Yeah, So Jack Spearco <laughs> runs a podcast called the Survival Podcast, which sounds scary and gunny and all that. And sometimes right. they do talk about guns, but he is a lifestyle coach. Also, I mean, I would call him a coach, but he always makes fun of life coaches. But he is in that way, like he makes a podcast every day. And if you listen to it, sometimes it might not be something you're interested in, right. but he's always talking about taking control of your life. And designing it the way you want it to be, not the way that society tells you you have to be. And I uh, and no, I that's a how Nicole and I met, and B that's uh, was a kick in the butt. I need to start my business too because designing the life that you want to lead—that's absolutely right on, Nicole. Yes. Yeah. And for me, it wasn't working in a cubicle, driving an hour and a half each way to. Uh, no, that's three hours without your family, right there, Josh. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it's not worth any of the money in the world to, for that kind of crap. But anyway, yeah. so you went down there and, and what happened there? So that's so I did a presentation of how you could make a side income because at that time I was selling some coffee to some friends. Okay. And I roast mine, I'd roast theirs. And I had done the math and figured out how much it would cost to go to a commercial roaster. And I was like, so unless you're really going to run this as a full time business, like this is the cap of how much you can make per month. And then Jack walks up to me afterwards. He's like, you need to raise the price of your coffee. And I remembered looking at him with a skeptical look on my face. <laughs> and I had just announced to the room that I'm not going to grow the business. Right. And I was like, yeah, right. I was thinking, I don't have I don't have max customers yet. And I was like, you know what? That guy's much more financially successful than I am. Right. And I'm just going to go home and do it. So I went home on that Monday, raised the price, instantly started selling more coffee. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. Yeah. I went up $2 a pound, started selling more more coffee. And then I realized I, uh, there was another alternative for commercial roaster that uh, somebody I met at that workshop introduced me to some other mid, mid-priced mid roasters. And I realized I really did want to do it because I love it. I love roasting coffee. I love roasting coffee for people who love coffee, right? Yeah. And so I went on Jack's show like two months later with a Kickstarter launching a business and he just made fun of me. He's been making fun of me ever since. He's like, yeah, you announced to everybody at my workshop, you weren't going to do this for a living, Nicole. And now you are. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just curious, what was, what do you think caused the, the increase in prices to draw more business? That's interesting to me. Well, I, I think because my price point was around where Starbucks is that yeah. there's a quality assumption there. Yeah. And I went up in price just to see if it would work and that made a different quality assumption and the coffee is very good. So it you know it was like people getting over the the price, you know, like I guess it's also I was reaching a different audience. I'm reaching people who can afford to pay $16 a pound. Right. With with $14 a pound, I was reaching people who could afford to pay $12 a pound. That's interesting. And so um, it was like their special weekend coffee. So the people, so by raising the price, you're able to uh, appeal to a different niche. And that didn't, even though it narrowed your niche, it actually expanded necessarily the dollar amount that people would be willing to, to spend on your coffee. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I mean, it's kind of like, yeah. You're narrowing it, but you're actually widening it at the same time, if that makes sense. 
Well, that, yeah. And it gave me a better profit margin, which made the time worth it because I wasn't really making much money an hour at the other rate. And it's given me a bit of a cushion where if a bean is a little bit more per pound green, I can still afford it in the, in the cost of the coffee. How does it, I mean, so are you buying green coffee beans or I don't get it. Are you growing them or where do they come from? Well, they come from different places in the world. They do not, they can be grown here, but they don't grow well here in Tennessee. Like they're not going to taste great. So uh, the beans I am roasting right now are from Brazil and I think Tanzania. I'd have to go look. Um, How do you buy them? Like some import export guy? Yeah, I work. So we do direct purchases from farms, which gives the, it's better than fair trade, although fair trade is good. Fair trade is a cooperative of farms in a region. And sometimes we get those beans if they're good. But we, we will buy directly from small farms through an importer. Okay. And what I do is they, they usually have a list of, you know, 75 farms they work with. I'll get, I won't get samples from all of them because I can look at the altitude and the variety and where they're from and have some idea of where it is. And I'll, I'll get samples from a bunch of farms, roast them, taste them. And then the ones that have the flavor profile I'm looking for, I'll order, you know, 300, 500, 800 pounds of that bean from that farm. And once it's gone, it's gone until next year. Oh, so, so you, the, the shipping comes in, you know, let's just say 800 pounds and that's not, <laughs> that's real, real weight there. It shows up on, you know, your box at your front door. It's all green coffee beans or whatever they're cocoa beans, I guess, or what are they called? So coffee beans grow on a tree and it's called a coffee cherry. It's a round fruit. Oh, really? Yeah. And they're harvested and there are different ways to process them. But the way that I see most frequently is they're fermented so that the fruit falls off the seed and the seed is what we're drinking. Ah. And then those are dried and then, well, they're cleaned um, and then dried. And then I get them and they're called green beans and those are unroasted and they are usually greenish in color, like a, like a cherry. It's like a bunch of cherry pits, only they're coffee cherry pits. It is a bunch of cherry. I did not know that. So no kidding. It's actually like a bunch of cherry pits. Okay. That's, that's a good uh, way for me to visualize that. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what yeah, you- And then we just roast those and those you can store up to a year without a, a negative flavor impact. After once they're the roast- roasted, once oh. they're roasted, it's different. They're, the flavor starts going downhill about two weeks in. Although most people can't taste it for three months, honestly. And roasted just means you put them in the oven or something like that. It's like you're. Yeah, I have a coffee roaster that applies heat in different amounts at different times in the roast. And then we cool them, bag them, seal them. And about 24 hours later is when the flavor is peak. No kidding. Okay. Tell about two weeks after. Yeah. So if you have a bag, um, you know, like it's a, a and they're ground, they're, you know, how you can at Starbucks, you can buy them ground or you can buy them where you ground them yourself. What's, I don't know what the other one's called, like full beans or something like yeah, that whole bean. yeah whole. so like when you get that bag of whole beans is that what you sell nicole a whole bean bag yeah i sell whole bean coffee and then people grind it and brew it i do have the capability of grinding it i have one restaurant client and i deliver theirs ground um but like i delivered coffee yesterday they'll be done with it by sunday well that's what i'm gonna say so once you know, you get like say you send me a, a pound of of not ground coffee a whole bean how long is that take for it it really loses its flavor 
So whole beans start losing their flavor about two weeks. If you've kept them sealed and cool, you know, like you should. About two weeks, it starts going down again. I would say most people aren't going to notice it's starting to get stale for three months if they're storing them right. And I have people who vacuum pack them and keep them cold for a year or two and don't notice. So it's really about storage and then about like people who are always drinking really fresh beans and it's like, like wine, you know, like some people really care about the vintage of wine and how long it's been in the bottle. Those people are going to notice a, a flavor difference after two weeks. Okay. Most of the world is not. What if you um, grind them? Does that do they go bad any more or less frequently or quicker than if they're just in the whole bean by themselves? Yeah, they go. They so there are volatile oils in the bean, and when you grind it, those are released. Uh-huh. So the flavor starts changing almost immediately. And the long so the longer you start ground, it'll you'll start t- tasting the staleness sooner. If you have a, if you taste staleness in coffee. So when you get a thing from, you know, Hollow Rose Farms, you definitely don't want to ground it unless you think you're going to drink that in the next day or two or something like that. Right, right. Uh, I mean, right. if you're going to pay for the premium coffee, um, you probably just want to get a grinder too. Uh, but no, yeah, at the same time, I, I have some customers who are like, can you please just grind this? Because otherwise I just won't use it at all. And I do. And, no, but and I'm just saying, they keep coming back, so. But if you got the bag and, you know, the grinder, you can get easy. But if you got the bag, don't grind a week's worth in one, you know, like don't say Sunday night and grind everything for the next week. You probably just want to do like, you know, every day or every other day or something like that, I think. Right. To keep the flavor fresh. Yeah. And again, that's going to depend on your. Yeah, I got you. Your palate. Like some people do grind it for the week. I know they tell me. (laughs) But then if you keep a whole vacuum sealed in a freezer with that keep the whole ground you know okay for a couple months you think or so the answer to that is yes and there's a lot of debate in the coffee world about freezing coffee ruining it because moisture expands what i have found the reason the freezer ruins coffee is that your freezer tastes like everything else in your freezer Ah, and so if the air gets to the coffee you get like the bacon and the vegetables and those flavors in there so it just depends on how you're keeping it i have not and i've done tests i haven't noticed that just having the bean frozen and then thawed out changes the flavor and i'm sure somebody will tell you that i'm wrong and i hope they do but i've just i've tried it and never tasted it all right, so one more question on coffee, then when I go into your other businesses too, um, just French press. So what you had done in an episode with Jack about, or maybe it was just your own podcast, maybe it was with Jack, I think, about French press. Um, and just for folks who aren't, just explain a French press, if you don't mind, Nicole, because that's what I use, especially in the, you know, the, uh, the idea of being prepared. A French press is wonderful because you don't need a coffee machine. Um, but just explain the best way to French press coffee, in your opinion, if that makes sense. Well, you grind the coffee and put it in the French press and you pour hot water over it. Boiling water or not necessarily? I go, so I boil it and then I turn off the burner and let it sit for a second, like maybe half a minute. Okay. okay. So just off boiling, I pour it over and then I let it sit for two minutes. That's how long I let it sit. Other people let it sit for three minutes. If you let it sit longer than three minutes, it starts really pulling very bitter flavors out so if you let it sit too long it's not as good and then once it does that you just there's a plunger on a french press it's like a container 
with a handle and a lid that has a big plunger with a filter. And when you plunge that plunger down, it it extracts the rest of the flavor into the French press. And what's above the and the grounds are at the bottom. What's above the plunger is the coffee. And then you just use it like coffee. Now, the last pour of a French press tends to get a little gritty because the really small pieces of the coffee beans will come up through that yeah. mesh screen. Uh-huh. That's the chewy part. So you only let it sit for two to three minutes. Interesting. I would have thought it wouldn't get enough. Um, it won't. It'd be too light. Not necessarily. Huh? Like too weak. If you only let it sit for two to three minutes. Weak coffee is made by not grinding the beans enough or by not putting enough in. So interesting. Yeah. Okay, so so no, gotta... like two or three minutes, you'll get it. When I taste coffees, I cup them for 45 seconds before I taste them. So the weak, if the less you grind it, the weaker it will be. I didn't, I would have thought it'd been opposite. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, More finely ground beans end up having more surface area hitting the water. So it extracts more of the coffee flavor. If you go too fine in a French press though. Yeah. It'll come through the full. Or you can't plunge the plunger down and you're like, ooh. ooh." Yeah. Oh God. (laughs) No, I've made that mistake a million times. That's interesting. So it has nothing to do with how long you let it steep or whatever. It actually has to do with not putting enough coffee grounds in there or not uh, grinding them down enough. Ah, man, that's fantastic. I did not know. I would have thought the exact opposite. So that's, yeah, and uh, if you do leave it longer, it will extract more, but it's extracting some of the negative things about coffee, which is the acid. And the well, acid is what makes your tummy hurt. <laughs> well, uh, for this this podcast is teaching you all kinds of stuff. <laughs> do you do any YouTube videos, Nicole, by chance? I don't do YouTube videos often, although you will see by the end of this year, I do them more often. If you could do one at some point just on coffee French press, I, I'm telling you, right, I just think it'd be wonderful to watch <laughs> because uh, I mean, for me, I use a French press typically and then. It just, I, I was losing some of the taste. Like, what the hell? So I always said, well, I got to let it steep longer and I got to not ground it so much. I was doing the exact opposite. So it'd be wonderful to watch. Um, all right. So on your YouTube channel, you haven't done a whole lot yet. What is the name of your YouTube channel? Or, or can you divulge that at this stage or, or what? I should totally know the name of my YouTube yeah. channel. Um, oh, and fine. I don't. Um, oh, it's probably good. Living Free in Tennessee. Okay. Well, we'll find it. And I'll put it. What link- you'll find on there. So yeah, Living Free in Tennessee. You'll find I have, I was doing podcast episodes for a while. Yeah. And then I have a couple of like random property walks. And what we're getting ready to do, I was supposed to do this last year, is uh, I'm going to do canning episodes. Oh, man, absolutely. That's fantastic. It, it is already pickle season. So we're going to do some canning episodes. And I the, the hang up was camera in my kitchen. I could not figure out how to get the camera going in my kitchen and be um, able to record what I needed to record. I've got to get a microphone that goes to the camera because this microphone is my podcast one and it's different. It it won't work. Yeah. So I need a lavalier mic and then we're going to start doing those. Oh, man, that's fantastic. All right, sweet. So, again, Living Free in Tennessee, my friends, is the podcast. And how many you got at least, I mean, 70, I think. How many episodes do you have on? I just recorded 85 this week. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, and just lots of wonderful information. Um, Living Free in Tennessee, the podcast, and, and uh, you absolutely jump on there, folks, in the YouTube channel. I'll put a link in the show. All right, so, Nicole, before we got rudely interrupted by the uh, the weatherman with a thunderstorm going through your neck of the woods and my neck of the woods, which uh, 
really messed up our Wi-Fi. We just begun the discussion on you know entrepreneurs and health insurance, and and you know given that as your area of expertise for public policy, given that you're also a consultant to a lot of entrepreneurs and small business people, do you have any thoughts on like you were you, we were talking about health shares and stuff, but again we kind of got messed up on that. So would you just mind going over a little bit about what you'd recommend, or at least not maybe recommend, but have people consider for health insurance, especially someone who's looking to get in their own, uh, do their own gig. Well, you know, it, it's funny. My brother-in-law is, uh, leans very socialist and he, but he also is very good at drumming up business for himself. And recently he transitioned out of a job into being coming an independent contractor. And he had a talk with me about health insurance because we debate policy in a friendly way and I'm not on that side and he's on that side. <laughs> and we have great discussions that scare everybody. We're like, no, we're not mad. We're just like debating. And he mentioned, he's like, you know why people can't start more small businesses in this, in this country? It's because we don't have socialized health care. And then, and then I'm like, but, but you've got the affordable care act. Right. Well, that's not the same. I'm like, well, it is the same. It, it costs a bunch of money. And people don't realize that, yeah, your premiums have gone up, but your taxes have gone up too to pay for that. And so I think as a small business owner, it's re it is really, it's something you want to look at before you dive because that's an expense a lot of people don't think about. And way back in the day, like 10 years ago, I had this awesome $95 a month, high deductible health insurance plan. Right. And I, it, it stayed, you know, it'd go up $2 a year or whatever and uh, $2 a month, you know, every year or so. And I didn't understand what everybody was upset about because if I got sick, I could use it. I had managed to save money in a health savings account tax-free for 5,000 bucks to, to cover that deductible. And it was just no big deal. Well, then the Affordable Care Act came in and within six months, uh, my insurance policy was canceled. And when I started looking for replacement policies, I think the range was between six and eight hundred ish dollars for just me. And I'm healthy. A month. A month. That's crazy. It was crazy. And and it didn't cover very much. Right. Like back then, the deductible went down. It was like three thousand, but it didn't cover very much. Um Mark had a pre-existing condition for him. And so what we ended up doing is I signed up for a health share, which is a different approach. You're sharing. So it's basically people who are aligned by faith, join an organization and you pay a certain amount a month and the money doesn't go towards receiving a certain number of benefits, right? It doesn't say, okay, this is this, you do this and you get your doctor for cheaper what it does is it pays the actual costs. And so when you go see the doctor, you ask them what their cash rate is, which is generally lower than the insurance rate. So that's, that's an education. Yeah. And then you pay the cash and then you fill out a really simple form, upload it, and they decide if it's covered or not. And they can decide it's not covered, but usually it is. So for so that, I'm paying 200 bucks a month. Stroking a check up front to the doc are right, you got to get it like pre-approved like just like like i was telling you earlier my daughter's getting jaw surgery as we speak here right now would she need to get that pre-approved or, or how does it work for health insurance you know what i'm saying so they do ask that you pre-approve things okay. like that although if it was an emergency situation and you've right. got to do what you got to do you just do it and you don't always have to pay the cash rate but 
I find it's it's easier because most doctor's offices are not equipped to understand a policy that yeah. is not insurance. Do most and doctors so, know what you mean by a cash rate, Nicole? Yeah, well, oh. they do. The office manager does. Yeah, okay. you always got to ask. for the, and, and then when they tell you the number, you say, is that the lowest you can go? If okay. I pay cash right now and usually they'll be like, okay, 25% less. Like we went to an emergency room and the bill was $5,000 and I got out of there for 2,500. Hmm. All right. So even the emergency room, you can, uh, they have a cash rate too. If you know to ask for it, they do. No kidding. All right. Well, that's the thing. No one, I didn't know that. No one knows to ask yeah. for the, uh, the cat. And so all, well, not all, but I imagine generally speaking, the office manager will say, yeah, we have a cash rate. It's 20% or 25% discount off the insurance rate. So we wouldn't have to do the stupid yeah. insurance stuff. And I don't know if this is fraud or not. So take it with a grain of salt. But if you don't mention you have insurance when you have insurance and you just say, you know, you just get the bill at the cash rate, it's going to be cheaper than like if you have Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, the negotiated rates through your insurance company are higher. Yeah. We had Mark had to get an MRI and that was an MRI. That was a CAT scan. CAT scan. First year, he had no insurance, $400. Second year, same imaging company, $1,500 because he had Blue Cross Blue Shield and that was their negotiated rate. That's and we, we had a big fight. And, and it, you know, we hadn't reached a deductible. It was out of our pocket. <laughs> it's absurd. I'm like, are you kicking back to Blue Cross Blue Shield? Like, what's going on here? Totally. I mean, how could you not see that? I mean, my God, you know, that's what something's happened like that. All right. So and and so that's fantastic. So when you're talking to, you know, because one of the things I talked to you as you know, when I hired you to be you know, my consultant was about the health insurance stuff. And I just have to assume that's the big uh, issue for a lot of uh, budding entrepreneurs. Like, how do I get coverage? And that might keep them from actually doing the thing they want to do, I think. And there is an option out there other than Obamacare or Medicaid, I guess, right? I mean, health share or, or I guess that's it. I mean, is there any other options out there anymore for? There is concierge medicine, which okay. you pay a subscription for the care, right? And they have like this just general, uh, yeah. what is it? Internal medicine or whatever. And you pay, let's say $50 a month. You can come anytime you want. That's, yeah. that's another one. And it, it is designed for people and it could be a hundred dollars a month. Right. No, what that does not cover is if you get cancer and have to go to a specialist, right. uh, like a chemotherapy thing. And that, so you want to pair concierge medicine with something else. It's not available in, in every state. And okay, you're going to laugh. So I work with public policy organizations and we were working on messaging for how to explain, um, uh, this is a novel concept. So you go to the doctor and they give you a bill yeah, and you pay the bill. <laughs> this is called direct care. Yeah. Right. That's the new name. That's like the name we, it, we call this direct care. I'm like, this is how it was before we got all confused and decided the government had to pay our health, our health bills and, or an insurance company did that was paid by our employer. So they don't really care about us. You know, like the problem is you're not the client as the patient. The patient is not the client. When the patient is the client, you get better services. So there's there's a there's a famous direct care clinic in Oklahoma called the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. And the the doctor who founded it wanted to have transparent rates. So everybody who comes in to get any procedure, it's like a published rate. Knee replacement is X. 
And, and that is, you know, 25 to 50% of what it costs in the hospital. And you know what happens if they mess it up and you have to get it redone? What? Free. I was going to say, they do. I, was, I wonder about that exactly. That's yeah. interesting. Which is different than a lot of the nonprofit yeah. hospitals in the area. You have to pay another $100,000, right? It's, and, and that's like, you know, 25000 or I don't know what their price is right now versus $100,000. And that's how big the range is. And that's Not because great. it's just overinflated. And you pay one bill. You don't pay like 19 different people who saw no, it. Exactly. It's just simple. Here's what yeah. it costs. You need a, you need replacements. Twenty five thousand bucks. That's not fair. Bullcrap's not fair. You go right. to the insurance companies. Hundred thousand bucks, and you've been paying for that your whole life, and you might yeah. not need it. That's oh, crazy. So I had a friend who who needed to get surgery, yeah. and he was in Oregon, and it was expensive. It was like four thousand dollars, and I said, "Call the surgery center." He got the price a thousand dollars there. Oh, that's he crazy. called back his his doctor in Oregon, and they said. Sometimes when you call your doctor and say you have a, a lower price, they'll honor it. They didn't. So he flew to Oklahoma City, got the procedure done, stayed in a hotel, went out to eat, <laughs> had a little fun, and came home. And and that's the other thing is medical tourism. A lot of people are leaving the country for procedures yes. like that. You know, yeah. the, the, if you're having a heart attack and you need emergency surgery, right. you're, it's going to happen wherever it happens. But when you have some of these other elective things that you can plan, like a knee replacement or you know, dental work, you can just go and it's cheaper and you have a vacation at the same time. And it's, uh, it's funny. Cause I got LASIK surgery, well, I guess 10 years or so ago and it's not insurance. You just say, what's your rate? They say this and you say, what happens if you screwed up? They say, come back in for free. And it's, you know, it's, and here's the fort, whatever it costs, 3000 bucks. It's holy crap. That's like everything else that works in America, except for health insurance, because all these hands are involved. This was crazy. Yeah. Um, so back to your business. So you advise people, uh, it's, you know, so we, you did my website. Um, you did some consulting. So we talked about your coffee stuff and that's fine. And, you know, we talked um, you know, about your public policy experience, but what do you do to you know, help people who are, I mean, obviously I have some ex experience with you, um, but what do you do for people who are saying, man, you know, I want to be more independent because the corporate grind or, you know, is working the cubicle or whatever, you know what I'm saying? They, they're ready to rock roll. How can you help them in terms of, uh, you know, your consulting, your website, and all that. What, you know, what's the sales pitch for, uh, for the cold sauce? What is, so I help people go from idea to reality. And the reason that it's hard to explain what that sales pitch is from a function stamp standpoint for you, it was a book and a website. Yes. But what happened along the way was a conversation where I asked you critical questions. I didn't shy away from saying when I didn't like something for your tar target audience. Yep. Um, cause I figured the worst thing that happened is you'd fire me, but the worst thing that happens if I'm just a yes man to you yeah. is you go forward with a really ugly thing, right. Or the wrong thing and you lose a bunch of money. So I just, I work with people to, to help them identify their core strategy and yeah. direction and then move that direction. And whether that's helping them get a website built, yeah. helping them launch a podcast, podcast exactly. Yeah. helping them write a book and get it published as much as you love Amazon right now. Um, it, <laughs> any of those things. And, and I, I do it on a one by one basis, like I did with you. Um, or I also do this in, in corporate workshops, which we were talking where I travel yeah. with another facilitator and we'll walk a team through the development of a sales strategy. And then we train their teams. So 
the magic is really in an ability to listen and repeat. And I would say anybody starting a small business, even if, if, if you can't afford somebody like me or, or, or you, right? At least find somebody who knows something who you can talk to and check in with. Because I, I think the collaborative work towards, towards your vision is important because what you say and what people hear are two different things. Oh man, that's the doggone truth right there. Without question. And Without, you want that person to not be afraid of you. Um, when you're a, like, man, I, that's where the person, the consulting, in my opinion, for someone who's got skin in the game, but at the same time is not afraid to tell you like it is. And regardless of who the consultant is, be it Nicole or whoever, um, it, it, you don't want a yes, man. You want somebody who's going to say, look, that does, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's at the end of the day, because like you said, people are going to hear the words that they hear as opposed to what you think they hear. And that's completely, <laughs> that could be, you know, 180 degree separation. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, right before this call, I had received a three page memo from a client about everything they wanted different on their website. And it was very particular. And some of the things they asked for was because they're used to print layout. Ah. And so um, I work with Mama Sauce, right? And she was kind of stressing out because some of the things they asked for were impossible. Well, right. not impossible, but very expensive right. to do. And, and I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get on the phone and we're going to explain yep. why that's hard. And then we're going to ask what the goal is. And then we'll see what happens. And he was great. He, I mean, the best thing about this memo is I know exactly what the person wants. Yeah. And it, it's like a checklist. And then we went through the four or five things that were difficult and that we, were not mobile friendly. And ah. when I explained that, I, he said, well, okay, so my big goal with this is X. And then I said, okay, well, let's, what else can we do? And we came up with solutions and it's done. And I think a lot of people, when they're hired by somebody, somebody says, you know, paint that purple. Right. They paint it purple no matter what. Yeah, I, that's one hundred percent right. Without even the thought process, or even the the, the discussion of whether or not the purple is the right, <laughs> right, know, it might well be. But the discussion <laughs> needs to go in there for sure. Right on the um, just from sales like business development and stuff because you know entrepreneurs and and, and I'll let you get out of here. But just I'm just curious, what's uh, what's the biggest thing in your experience as a as a business development person? I mean, you know, the public policy, running your own business. You know, you went door to door selling coffee, or saying hand out flyers. What's a, is anything one or two jump out at you, Nicole, for, uh, for an entrepreneur, you start this, you know, one man show, what's the number one thing you can do to, to drum up business? Anything jump out at you? To drum up business? Yeah. Uh, I think putting your focus in building your market is the most important thing. And that's really freaking generic. But what I mean by that is, Really figure out who you think will buy your services and what they will respond to. So with my coffee, I went up $2 a pound and I reached a different kind of audience. And they're the kind of audience that's willing to spend more money on coffee because it yeah. tastes awesome, right? That's all that happened there. And so I removed a lower co entry cost yeah. and got the kind of client I wanted. So I think those kinds of things are important. And, and along the way, talk to people and learn from what they have to say. Like when somebody says something critical to me about something I'm doing, like my podcast or the coffee, and it's, it's natural to be defensive. But when you feel yourself being defensive, just shut up yeah. and listen. And then 
it's hard. Don't don't say my. I know it's hard, and because you're like, but 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 I worked so hard on this, you know, right? exactly. yellow wall, um, and just shut up, listen. And sometimes they're full of crap, and right. other times there there is like, okay, where is the truth in that? And you'll find as you analyze it, there's a truth there that you can learn from that makes you stronger or that makes you reach more people. And I mean, that's why when Jack told me to raise my prices, I shut yeah. up. Yeah. I was oh, like, I'm just going to shut up right now. Was like, probably like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about, Jack. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I yeah. imagine that was your first thought. Yeah. It was. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. And, and it was also like, if you hear yourself thinking, I can't. That's the other thing. Entrepreneurs or anybody starting a business who start thinking, I can't, they can't. That's true. You can't if you can't, if you say you can't. I, the, the biggest thing I hear about people who want to start businesses that keeps them from starting is they explain to me all the reasons they can't start now. And none of them are worth a darn. Like none of those reasons, like rarely do I find one that's a bad, you know, a, a real reason. I've heard one or two where I'm like, yeah, I can see why you want to delay starting for a few months. But usually it's, you know, because I haven't thought this through or I haven't, I, I got somebody who was like, I don't know how to do mass production on the product I haven't sold yet. <laughs> well, go sell one, man. Like it's. Right? Like the best thing that can happen to you is you sell 400 all at once and send them all a message saying, wow, I'm so excited. You love my project. It's going to take me longer than I thought. Right. And then <laughs> if a hundred drop off, well, you still got 300 in the pipeline. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and when you fulfill those 300, you learn a lot about how to set your process up. You don't need to set up your mass production assembly line process for selling 500 pounds of coffee a day. And you know, until you're there exactly but that's uh i i think the uh, so let me ask the last question here for you nicole whatever maybe last but just in the future what see i have this hope i guess and this is why one of the reasons you know i met you through the survival podcast whatnot is that you become more of an independent contractor 1099 just more of a a, you know self-employed society as opposed to you know, working for corporate America. And I'm a capitalist, 100% capitalist. I have no problem with corporate America, but I do think it, it does take away your, some of your soul. And I've been through that. You've been through that. In fact, you said when we started this podcast that um, it, was, it was just killing you. I mean, literally killing you. And then you separate from that. But you think that five, 10 years from now, we're going to have more people that are you know, self-employed just doing their gig, or you think it's going to be and I hate to say it, but, you know, just the corporate mentality is just ingrained in us so much that the days of you know, the corner shop mom and pops are gone or going away. What do you what do you think about that? I just well, I know it's theoretical, but or philosophical. But I just what do you think? OK, well, since you're recording this, I'm going to make a, a declaration of a prediction, which may or may not be true. And it's recorded so you can hold it against yes. me in the future. <laughs> I think that the corporate jobs are going to go away and they're going to become government jobs. Mm. I think that's the risk. And I think with our economy changing the way it is, we have an opportunity to encourage as many people as possible, which is one of the reasons I do a podcast to start taking ownership of their lives and that a good, a good amount of our population is going to figure out that you don't have to work for the government or a corporation and you can still take care of yourself and you don't need to have as much. Yes. I think that's one I'm percent right. So I do think the economy is changing. Jobs aren't the way they used to be and they're not going to be. Yeah. And for the people who are still in sectors that require 
you know, that corporate grind. Okay, great. But even those are going to start going away as automation increases. And so the people who are able to figure out, you know what, I can be put on retainer to help people start a business and I can write a book and that will generate enough revenue for me to live a lifestyle I love. It, I, that's retirement, man. That yeah. right there is retirement. You're still working, but you are retired. I don't know where this concept came from that we have to work at a corporate job until we're 70. And then we retire and can go to the beach, even though right. we wrecked our bodies. So like we're too fat to enjoy it. Yeah. Right. I know. It's sad. <laughs> why, so, why, exactly. Where's why not retire now if you can? And, you know, you can't just jump blindly. That takes that takes transition. It takes planning. It takes building something. It takes hard work. But um, I can say this, Josh, like what I'm doing every day is way better. I spent all day yesterday um, writing the plans for and cleaning up a rental property to do a big remodel so that we can charge a higher rent when it's ready again. And that's like grunt work to most people. Like I took out rotting garbage yesterday and threw it in a dumpster and I loved it the whole time because I'm like, yeah, we're cleaning this up and it's going to be awesome. And it's going to bring me, it's going to bring me monthly income that doesn't require, it's like a lot of work right now. And then none for you know, a couple of years until the next time we got to do it. So, uh, you know, those, those, you just have to think about things differently. Uh, it was funny, Nicole, cause, uh, I, I didn't realize how much I actually, when I was, when you and I were talking, I was plotting my course here, you know, I had a, this thought in my pr- back of my mind, like, I can't wait to be free of the corporate. I can actually do what I want to do. And man, I get up, every, I get up at five o'clock in the morning. Cause I love, I absolutely <laughs> love what I do. It's, it's like, I yeah. cannot tell you how liberating it is. And, and just for anyone who's listening out there, it's just, I'm telling you, man, when you got the shackles on um, at your corporate job or government job where you have to limits on, it's just a, it's the meaning. And I, for me, it was, and maybe it's not for some people, but if you're limited in what you can do because your boss says you can't do that, but you know that's a better way, man, I'm telling you, just, I wake up every morning just stoked. I, I'm nervous. I mean, I, any entrepreneur is going to be nervous, but we're Yeah, it's scary. But, it is scary. But it keeps you motivated too, actually. And um, it's yeah. actually interesting because here it is, what, 7.30, I'm talking to you in Eastern time, you're central. And you know, I'm not even halfway, well, I'm halfway, but that's like another three hours ahead of me. And I'm yeah. stoked. You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> awesome. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And, uh, and I just, I, I'm 47 years old. And I just say to myself, you know, hey, I'm glad I am where I am. But man, I just, the feeling that you get from being self-employed and doing what you know you need to be doing is just, you can't. It's, it's not worth it. All the money in the world won't give you the feeling of that in a corporate environment. Now, some people might, but not for me. And, and I just, I hope that more and more people follow that model. Um, and Nicole, I got to tell you just real quick is that folks, if you're looking, and I don't know how, I mean, if you're looking at going independent, whatever that is, I do think you need to maybe hire somebody like Nicole or at least talk to her, or it doesn't have to be her specifically, but I just think getting a second set of eyes on what you're trying to do uh, can be very helpful. And uh, for me, it was without question. I mean, Nicole and I first chatted back in July of last year. Yeah. I worked for a company up in New Hampshire. I sit in the, in the parking garage and I remember talking to her about it. And, and it's just one thing after another, just kind of slowly, but surely the snowball is building. Um, but it was, it was actually better that way because you're really ready to, you want to rock and roll and you're ready to go and and it's probably the best for just kind of slowly build and for me it was it worked out about a month i was probably 
left my gig about a month too early, but even that was better than ever jump, jumping in back in July. It's just, and I attribute that to Nicole and her mom, Lonnie, for helping me trying to kind of get my head on straight. And it's not all perfect. I mean, you're always going to make changes. You're always going to say, I don't know if this was right, but man. Oh, so, I mean, if just looking at obviously buy coffee from Nicole and I haven't done that yet. Nicole, I gotta, <laughs> I'm going to order some for sure. Um, oh, we'll get you some. No, I'll, I'm going to pay it for it for sure. But where can people find you? So we know we got the podcast living free in Tennessee. Do you do like a weekly episode or something like that? Or, or yeah, you- that's living free in Tennessee.com is the podcast. Yep. And the the communications company is sparkcomgroup.com, okay. which you can go to livingfreeintennessee.com and just click on the link. <laughs> Spark Communications Group is the name. Uh, that's probably the two easiest ways to get okay. me. And of course, the coffee is at hollerroast.com. That's H-O-L-L-E-R-R-O-A-S-T.com. If you only type one R, I think it forwards anyway, because I figured people would typo that out. But... <laughs> You know, if if you reach me, you can ask questions and, and, you know, the, the email through livingfreeintennessee.com goes straight to me. There's no like middleman. Sometimes Lonnie does jump in and help because when I'm on, when I'm on a facilitation gig, I'm like out of reach for, you know, three days at a time. Well, let me also say about Lonnie, I mean, she's got a PhD, right? Dr. Mom. That's right. So when you're talking... (laughs) communications is not just some lady in her basement. I mean, these are, I mean, these are real professional people, uh, folks that really can help you. I mean, I, <laughs> I just chuckle with Lonnie, some of her editing. I was like, Ooh, I, okay. I did not know that. Yeah, um, we just, you know, we just saw pretty... some of our communications work from 2010 result in a Supreme court win recently. And I was like, sweet. What? I can't tell, Wait, you. I can't tell you which one oh, on, on the podcast. No kidding. Yeah. Some of the stuff you did resulted in a Supreme Court win for the good guys, I presume. Yep. And that's, see, that's what I'm talking about. You, uh, anyway. All right, Nicole. Yeah, well, yeah, when we do stuff it. like that, we, we're in the background, right? It's all. Oh, well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's, that, <laughs> you made a difference right there. I've never been noticed other than you, but you know, at the end of the day, the good guys won one. And uh, if you weren't out there, you know, kicking butt and taking names, they might have lost. I mean, I, that's how, that's what we're here to do. Hey. Yep. Anyway, I just uh, appreciate it. So I'll put all this in the show notes, uh, folks. You can get in contact with Nicole. I highly recommend Nicole Sauce, uh, Living Free in Tennessee, absolutely, and her mom, Lonnie. Just great people. And uh, it's been my pleasure, Nicole. I appreciate it. We'll be in touch, obviously. But uh, thanks for jumping on board here today. And I appreciate the flexibility. <laughs> That's okay. Different recordings. <laughs> That's just the way it goes sometimes. I'm, I'm all about that. <laughs> I chased goats in the interim. Don't worry. <laughs> Thanks to cool. Thanks for having me on, Josh. All right, bye bye.